we need to just keep things simple. The simpler we are, the happier we are. Simple things are good. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. We're going to dig into the pub rules that property investors need to understand. Yes, we're doing the pub test today when it comes to property investment. Is today's show the world's first podcast pub test for property investment? I don't know. It could be. Hey, we never know if the show is going to be good till the end, so stick around. And of course, Merry Christmas. Uh, what a great time of year Christmas is. I love it because the real estate market basically shuts down. And of course, that means uh, we can all become quite fat and lazy. Uh, this time of year, I think we all smash a few too many sausages and uh, certainly go to one or two many uh Happy events, but hey, life is about having a good time, and I think uh, there's no better time of year than the present. And of course, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and uh, if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a wonderful time, and yeah, you know, spend it with the people you love. We've only got so many sort of days on this earth, so make the most of it. Uh, film your Christmas, have a bit of fun, uh, you know, get uh, some wisdom out of your elders, do what needs to happen because, uh, you know, it is a great time of year to be with your loved ones, be with your family. I know my uh, family are lazing about the house today. Uh, my dog Rafi's had another remedial massage. He's in the pool. Uh, he's sunbaking. He's cruising around. Uh, I don't know. He seems to have a better life than me, this dog. He's uh, always in the pool. He's the first dog I've ever had that basically takes himself into the pool swimming. So, you know, you can be sort of upstairs working. You look out the window. Next minute, Rafi's uh, splashing around the pool, taking himself for a dip. He really treats the house like a resort. Uh, he's got massages on call. He's, uh, you know, can laze about just about on any day bed he wants. And yeah, he's uh, renowned for going in the pool by himself. So today we're doing the pub test when it comes to real estate investment. I think it's uh, a critical test for property investors to understand. There's obviously a bit of fear of being involved going around at the moment. And I speak to a lot of property investors and a lot of them seem a little bit confused as to what type of property to buy at the moment, where to buy, should they run off uh, to far-flung places because that's where their budget gets them. There's all sorts of dialogue going on at the moment when it comes to property as an investment. And I thought, hey, it's time to just have the good old-fashioned pub chat. You know, the pub chat was big in uh, my era anyway. You know, you used to go along uh, and really abide by, you know, the rules of the pub chat. Uh, my wife uh, doesn't quite understand the pub chat, some of, some of the pub language. You know, the other week uh, I basically was talking to her and, uh, you know, we had a bit of a chat about you know, a few things. And, um, you know, I said, uh, fair sucker the sav to her. And she thought I was being absolutely rude. Of course, she's from Moldova. And, uh, you know, the, the idea of, you know, an Australian male species saying fair sucker the sav to a Moldovan was very, very offensive. She basically wanted to slap me and she took about three days for her to talk to me again. And I was explaining, it's it just means, you know, fair go. Give us, uh, give us a chance to talk. Um, and, you know, eventually she, she sort of got over it. But I think, you know, here in Australia, we all need a fair chance to talk. And sometimes what we listen to is garbage. So I figured let's do the rules of the game. Let's have the fair suck of the sav pub chat uh, because 
we need to understand, I think, um, you know, the simple version of real estate. And so I've put together some of the rules. These are the, I guess, the pub rules when it comes to buying real estate. So let's go through them because, again, I think uh, it's critical to, you know, make sure that you don't overcomplicate becoming a property investor because there's a lot of noise out there. What we have seen of recent times, just how resilient the real estate market actually is within an inflationary economy. It's certainly outperforming every other asset class once again. So uh, for all the naysayers out there, you know, you've, uh, you've got this one wrong again as we trough through the marketplace we will end up in a better place. Now, I guess the first rule when it comes to the idea of the pub rules for property investment is don't be a market maker. So what does that actually mean? The simple way to be a property investor is just Again, keep it pretty simple. You don't want to necessarily take on something that's a brand new idea in the real estate market. You don't want to, you know, explore and experiment on new places which have never proven to be capital growth orientated places. They might be really cheap, cheap for a reason. Uh, if you approach property investment as a market maker, like you're the person to discover something amazing and just because you're planting your seed in that marketplace, it's got to create some sort of, you know, wealth of uh, riches. It doesn't really work like that. And of course, you know, the idea of being a market maker, choosing the next hotspot, finding this ultimate regional suburb or township that's undiscovered, you know, it it can come back to, to really bite you on the ass. So I would suggest giving market making a bit of a miss and just keeping it simple, going to actually markets that are made, markets that have performed time in and time out. Now, obviously, there is always a ripple uh, concept in real estate where real estate will grow the next suburb, the next place, if you like, but you don't want to get too far off the beaten track when it comes to market making. The other thing I would say as a rule for property investment is, again, you don't want to be the person who buys, you know... A, an apartment with, you know, 25 square metres, um, which is like a dual income asset where you've got like two 25 square metre apartments stuck together. Um, that stuff is a market maker piece of real estate. Like no one wants that right now. So the fact that you are taking that kind of stuff on is a bit, you know, it's a bit adventurous. And for that reason, you know, I dual key kind of real estate, you know, all this type of stuff, it's too adventurous for mainstream real estate. Mainstream real estate is bought by mainstream people in mainstream society. So if you want the first rule, don't be a market maker. You know, you, you know, forget about that stuff. If you're going to buy an apartment, just buy a nice big, you know, apartment with a good floor plan. If you're going to buy a house, just, you know, good traditional house. Like you don't have to experiment. Real estate investment is not a science experiment. There are certainly people out in society that will ask you to be their science experiment when it comes to real estate. Just be very, very mindful. You do not want to be a market maker. Now, Warren Buffett has that sort of famous saying, if the market shuts down, you know, buy an asset that still can exist if the market shuts down for 10 years. Now, that almost happened with the pandemic, didn't it? it you know, we literally had two years of a, of a sharp marketplace. And of course, again, like, um, you know, sometimes the great man, the GOAT, says this kind of stuff and we all sort of go, oh, yep, there's an old fella rattling on again, isn't there? But it's so true. Like at the end of the day, uh, if we look at, 
you know, Lismore, for example, you know, the market's going to shut down for 10 years. Like you don't put your real estate investments in places which are volatile. Don't be a market maker. You know, at the end of the day, it's a really, really, really good rule when it comes to property investment. I think the the next rule, the next pub rule is don't have some sort of romantic notion around peak to trough investment. I heard one of our financial planners talk about this, Andy Fenton, the idea that today too many people romanticize about you know, buying at the bottom or if they bought at the top and the market goes backwards 5%, you know, they start to fall off their chair and, you know, have, um, you know, a hernia, so to speak. Don't be that person. No one wants to hang out with that person. Like real estate is a long-term sport. So if you're going to romanticize about, well, you know, if I just bought last year, I would have made an extra 30 grand or, you know, if I bought last week and now the market's down 20 grand or, you know, you're just going to do your heading and you won't survive the real estate uh, cycles because they're pretty up and down at times. And at the end of the day, I think the second pub rule is just, you know, be mindful how you gauge success because there are very few investors that enjoy buying right at the bottom. The bottom of the market can be two weeks. And there's very few investors that enjoy selling at the top of the market, which again can be one week out of 15 years. So, you know, if you're going to judge yourself by where the market was and where the market has been, you will constantly be disappointed inside of the real estate economy. I mean, quite often I speak to investors and they'll talk about their timeline. They bought a property uh, three years ago and this is where it is today. Or they, you know, they'll they'll basically um, sort of bookmark where things are right now. And, you know, Six months ago, the market was higher. Now the market's lower. So they, they don't bookmark where it was higher. They bookmark where it was lower. The point of the conversation is gauging success over a short period of time for real estate is a very, very uh, silly thing to do. It's a romantic thing to do. And real estate is, again, a bit of a grind. So this kind of romantic notion that, you know, your real estate go, you know, you judge your real estate based on peaks and troughs and and you should have won off the back of the best peak and the best trough is a very difficult thing to do. I'm a professional property investor and I can tell you it is a very, very difficult thing to do. Understanding market cycles will do your head in. All you need to understand is where the market is today and what a good piece of real estate actually looks like. And of course, having a long-term point of view. So we don't want to be a market maker. We don't want to be a peak to trough investor. And really the third rule, if you like, is a good property is something that is going to last you longer than 30 years. So think about your Self, 30 years from now, what type of real estate do you want to own? And of course, that real estate is going to pay for your retirement. So to pass the pub test, I think it's really, really critical that, you know, you consider something that is going to age nicely alongside you so that you can grow rich with the right property. Uh, Really, once I was in a book called Think and Grow Rich Real Estate, I put together a large parcel of that actual book. And it really does, you know, pertain to, we've got to think about this stuff to actually plant the right seeds to become wealthy. 
And again, like if we want a really good pub rule, a good property is something that's going to last the test of time. It's not going to become a shambles during our ownership. It's going to help us get to financial retirement. It's basically what we need to look for. Again, there's a lot of sort of what should I buy? Where should I buy? You know, some logic going around when it comes to what to do right now. So I feel like a lot of people I speak to kind of just don't know some of the simple formulas. So I really want to dumb this down today to just go like, this is as simple as you need to be. Don't be a market maker. Don't be a picture trough investor. Choose something that's going to you're going to be able to carry into retirement. It's going to go the distance with you. You're not going to have to step in to prop the asset up in a with a large proportion of your retirement funds. You're not going to have to spend $500,000 on the asset to prop it up. We don't want to do that. I guess the fourth rule, which I think is also uh, really, really critical, is something that's just simple to manage, right? Easy to manage. Like we are busy people. We all spin a lot of plates at once. Today, most people I know are probably busier than ever. If we think about technology freeing us up, I find that technology actually increases my productivity. So, you know, I certainly, you know, am spinning a lot of plates myself. So I like things that are easy to manage because throughout the year there is a lot going on. You know, I'm going on holidays now after this episode to Norfolk Island. Yes, why would someone go to Norfolk Island? There is nothing on Norfolk Island. I go to Norfolk Island because there is nothing. I want nothing. Believe it or not, I spend a lot of plates during the year. So for me, I need easy management within what I orchestrate. Because again, if things are complicated, I don't want to be involved because i got a lot on my plate. And of course, this is a big pub test. Is the real estate you own easy to manage? Like, can you facilitate being involved with the asset? Now, let's break that down because some properties are just not easy to manage. Now, I've owned properties, for example, in small places. When something goes wrong, it's very difficult to find a person to repair things at an appropriate price. Um, You know, I've owned real estate in small towns with 10,000 people. I've got the lashes on the back because they were not easy to manage. Every time something came problematic, there was, you know, a lack of competition, lack of choice to facilitate, you know, fixing the problem. Um, I even had in a small town, the property manager, basically the company was closing down and they didn't even tell me, but there wasn't really a viable second or third choice to manage the property as an investment. So easy to manage, even though it sort of comes across like as, you know, a given, it's actually not. Like you've got to manage yourself. You've got to have a reliable property manager. And of course, if you're involved in uh, assets which are, you know, driven around community, you've got to be on top of what the community's up to. You need to, uh, you know, if you're part of a strata scheme, you know, you need to attend your strata meeting. So is that easy to manage for you? Because again, you want the right management systems. You know, I own some strata properties. The strata managers I'm connected with do Zoom strata meetings. It's great. Like it's so easy to go to. So you want some really good systems to help you manage your world. And again, like if it's clunky, like you won't get the right intel for your asset. So don't have a clunky system. Have best in class when it comes to your management. Good property managers understand their systems of of management 
Um, you know, are they basically a Maran Park kettle mob which could shut down tomorrow? Are they investing in their management systems? Like, is their management systems, you know, on the way to become best in class? It's it's just the way it has to work. You know, today there is you know, huge, huge amounts of data flying around. We've seen data breaches all year, haven't we? Like, you know, um, pirates stealing Medibank's data and, you know, basically extorting companies. You know, this this is real now. So you want to make sure that you're aligned with good, good, good companies that reinvest in their business model, not just a good bloke. It's a big difference out there when it comes to real estate. So, yeah, you know, as I said to my wife, fair suck at the sav because, you know, let's let's talk about this stuff. Give me a go to explain the pub rules. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know, is Australian colloquial language dying? You know, do we all take offence at too much stuff? Let's have a think about that over Christmas. Um, obviously, you know... You know, there's so many good sayings. I, I, you know, don't come the raw prawn with me. I said that to her the other day. She was, she didn't understand. She thought I wanted raw prawns. I don't want raw prawns. Don't come the raw prawn with me. Which is, you know, let's let's you know let's have it. Let's take it easy, right? Like we all got to take it a bit more easy. And so hopefully the pub chat can help you. Take it a little bit more easy. Okay, so uh, I think we're up to the uh, fifth rule. Let's go back. So we've got don't be a market maker. Don't be a pig to trough investor. Invest for the long term over 30 years, an asset that will take you into your retirement. Let's create an easy management system that we can adapt to and not become a you know, hop around investor. I've met hop around investors. They they hop between property managers. They've had about seven property managers because nothing's right. And then you sort of go, well, is it actually the property manager or is it something going on in your world which is, you know, pushing you over the edge because you don't understand the system? Perhaps doing some education around how legislation works within real estate, how property management works, some good things you can learn. So you want easy management. I find that running, you know, I'm involved in running seven businesses. I've got 134 people who work uh, alongside me in the business. Uh, I've got bucket loads of real estate. I've got developments on the go. Management. It's all about management. Simple systems, great technology, good, good management because we all spin a lot of plates every year. And uh, yeah, this year I felt like I've spun, spun, you know, way too many plates. Hence why I'm going to Norfolk Island where no one is. I'm going to be a recluse. Uh, people are laughing at me. Like I went to a lunch the other day, people were like, why are you going to Norfolk Island? Like, start laughing. Like, it's the worst place on earth. It could be. I could be there two hours. I don't know. But, um, yes, it's uh, real estate does that to you. It can, it can burn you. I'm burnt. I'm burnt out. But I will be back. We will do more episodes next year. Actually, I've got one more episode after this coming up. And uh, I won't technically be here when the episode lands. And my goal is to actually, you know, be off grid. So yes, I won't hear that episode, no doubt. All right. Maybe I'm sounding a bit weird today. I don't know. I do feel a bit weird. The pub chat is, uh, is what today is all about. And we're up to the rule number five, build a moat. This is a simple, like, you need a moat, right? You need, real estate is a game of creating moats. And what I mean by that is you need to invest, firstly, in your circle of confidence. If you go outside of your circle of confidence, the first moat that's going to break or the first 
gate that's going to open is your psychology. Your circle of confidence is important. If you don't feel confident investing, I don't know, in Adelaide and you're from Brisbane, then you've got to develop that confidence to do it. You might need to go to Adelaide to have a look around and make sure that you're feeling confident about what you're doing. So many people today abdicate their confidence to other people. And so what do I mean by that? They'll employ strategists, they'll employ um, property teams, the buyer's agents to create a level of confidence for them and abdicate that responsibility. And then once they own the asset, they become very incompetent or unconfident with the asset because they never built the confidence to begin with. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a great strategist, coach, buyer's agent. Like you should because experts will make you more money. But you want to build your confidence alongside them. You want them to give you guidance and also encouragement if you're going to buy a property to build a moat, build your confidence, make sure that you understand what you're investing in. And of course, again, like if you buy a piece of real estate that is very durable, it creates growth, it creates cash flow it will create an economic moat for you. So it will be simple to look after. It won't be complex. It won't, um, you know, trash your back pocket constantly. It won't be something where you go, my God, you know, the property manager's on the phone again, there's another problem. Like you don't want that because your circle of confidence will diminish. So I like to buy assets where my confidence level is never going to come into question. I'm not going to go, why do I own that property? Uh, Why did I buy that property? What was the purpose of purchasing that property? Uh, What am I trying to get out of that property? And I do meet people who perhaps bought something without truly understanding what they've bought. And quite often they have actually got a perfectly good asset, but what is broken is their confidence. Their moat, if you like, is not durable for the distance the real estate needs to go. Something broke their confidence. And when your confidence is broken on an asset, it's just, a, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when that you will let it go. The point of the conversation is if you get your asset allocation right from the beginning, you will build a beautiful moat around what you own. It will be durable and your confidence will remain high forever. There are pieces of real estate that I own from day one, I've never thought about the property ever again. And, you know, it's near on, you know, for some of those assets near on 20 years now. And I never think about them. Like, like I, like money just comes into my bank account. Tenants have been living there forever. Um, There's never a problem. There's never a, you know, I never speak to the property, like nothing, like, like literally for 20 years, nothing has come to the moat. I've never worried about those properties because my circle of confidence, what I know about the real estate um, makes me super confident that I own the right assets. And of course, for a lot of property investors, they can either own the right assets, but have abdicated the responsibility of building confidence around that asset to someone else. So they don't truly understand what they own. It's a simple formula to fix Go and learn your property. Go and visit it. Go and understand what's going on in the area. Get to know what you own. Um, Build your confidence about your existing portfolio. And of course, if you're buying a property, build your confidence first before you buy it. Then you will go 20 years without caring about it. Now, I've certainly had assets where I know that the real estate is not perfect and my confidence for that real estate 
constantly has irritated me and I've always had in my mind, this is not what I've wanted. And really, I think, you know, in some respects, it's just going to irritate you and it will, uh, you know, it will, the damn wall will eventually break and you'll sell that asset. So you got to have confidence with this stuff. It really is the pub test rule. Um, otherwise, your moat will be broken and you do not want a broken moat. So build your circle of confidence. It's as simple as that. Okay, so we're up to, I think, rule six when it comes to the idea of... Uh, of the pub rules for property investment. This could be the world's first pub rules for property investment. I think I'm I'm doing the first first pub rules for property investment. This is amazing. Like this could be in every pub in Australia. You know, you got the pool rules and if you're gonna buy a property investment, you gotta you gotta use SAG's pub rules, you know. Don't be a market maker, don't be a picture trough investor, buy for something that's gonna help guide you into retirement, 30 plus years or more, something that's easy to manage, your circle of confidence, build your moat. And of course, the next one is as a property investor, we buy problems. Acknowledge that. Be a problem investor. You don't want to buy massive problems. You want to buy problems which evolve. What do I mean by that? There are massive problems out in some of some real estate. You know, some real estate's falling down. It's going to need a bulldozer. Uh, you don't want to buy the problem of single market economies. Like that's a big problem to buy. Like if you're going to rush off to a weird town in the middle of regional Western Australia with 7,000 people in it, that half the town flies in and flies out. You're buying a big problem that is potentially going to brew and unfold, you know, incorrectly for your retirement. So the rule is pretty simple. If you are going to be a property investor, you are going to buy problems that you need to solve. There is no such thing as a property investor that doesn't have problems. Sometimes property investors feel like they're the only one with the problem. We all have problems as property investors. We want to simplify the problems we buy. We want to have good tenants. We don't want problematic tenants. So if we want good tenants, let's buy in good areas where the likelihood of having better tenants is more plausible so we lessen the problem of having bad tenants. Uh, we buy the problem of time. I always say this, the biggest problem for property investors is the problem of time. To become wealthy out of real estate, like really wealthy out of real estate where your LVR is next to zero, you're going to need years, 21 plus years. 21 plus years is a problem. It takes a long time to do it. It is one fifth of many people's lifetime. It's one fourth of many people's lifetime. It's not to be sneezed at. In fact, the average hold time in Australia is something like 12 years at the moment, which is becoming longer. But actually, to become wealthy out of real estate, holding real estate even longer than that will facilitate wealth creation. And it is a big problem that a lot of property investors won't acknowledge, the problem of time. So we don't want to buy massive problems. We just want to buy sensible problems as property investors. Sensible problem is, you know, you could buy a property which needs a little bit of rejuvenation. Simple, you know, new carpet, new paint, new light fittings, curtains, blinds, Maybe, uh, you know, transforming the bathroom. Simple problem to solve. It's not a big problem. Um, you know, replacing roofs and gutters and digging up backyards and, you know, pulling up plumbing and, you know, big problem to solve. You don't want those problems. 
So the rule, if you like, is simplify the problems you buy because as a property investor, you're going to actually be buying problems. But keep them simple. Don't make them massive problems. Uh, Don't buy real estate off the beaten track for the purpose of, you know, being trying to, you know, be creative, you potentially buy yourself a massive problem. Keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. It's a great analogy. Hence why I just buy in pretty normal areas and just choose a pretty good deal. Um, it's a problem you buy, but it's not a massive problem. So think about that, right? The next rule is the next pub rule. We're in the pub at the moment. We're having a beer. I should have a little shandy and a little Christmas hat on my head or something, shouldn't I? It's, um, you know, that's the way it works. Um, now my wife, you know, she she's getting into the Australian lingo. I'm trying to teach her the Australian lingo. She's doing a course now on Australian lingo. You know, who would have thought there was an English course on Australian lingo? It's great. She's after the... Uh, you know, the raw prawn and, um, you know, fair sucker, the sab. Now she's, she's learning it. She's like, you know, in the morning, you know, it's like, what's going on? She's all, you know, things are good. And then it's, yeah, you know, she'll say things like, you know, you know, good on you champ. Like good pub stuff, you know, now my wife's good on you champ. Um, you know, Rafi's in the pool. Good on you, champ. So, yes, maybe we should do more courses on how to speak Australian. Um, certainly, there are some classic, you know, Australian speakers, aren't there? There are, you know, the uh, what's that rugby player guy, the wombat or whatever they call him. Um, yeah, you know, he could really throw them out. So I think we need a little bit of that in our daily life. I don't know. I think uh, Australians are quite um, colourful characters, so we don't want to lose that, do we? We want the old, uh, don't come the old raw prawn with me and uh, good on you, champ. I feel like, um, yeah, let's bring it back. Let's bring back good on you, champ. Um, let's use it at Christmas lunch, everyone. You know, pass the spuds. Good on you, champ. All right, the next pub rule, we're up to, uh, we want real estate with consistent operating history, right? Like we, again, this sort of comes back to, we don't want to be a market uh, maker. We, We want some consistency around the operating history of the area that we buy real estate in. And it's a very, very, interesting dynamic because in some respects I like buying real estate where there's already been capital growth rather than areas where there hasn't been capital growth. Now for many property people the idea of going to an area where there hasn't been capital growth is you know a interesting dynamic for them because they're like, well, I'm not buying someone else's capital growth. Um, And whilst there's an element of truth to that, you don't want 30 years of no capital growth in a marketplace and really cheap properties because again, like there must be a reason why there hasn't been 30 years of consistent operating history. Like something's not right about that asset. Now, there may not have been capital growth over the last five years or 10 years or seven years. That's perfectly fine. That's what, That's not a bad uh, proposition. There would have been growth before that. And you can look at the history of places and their capital growth history. And of course, you know, what I'm alluding to is real capital growth, not inflation, not just things costing more, but actual growth in places. Now, I don't mind actually buying real estate. And I think this is a bit of a pub rule where people have equity in the properties in the neighborhood you're looking to buy in. In other words, there's been growth there. They're equitable places. When families, people, uh, the community, 
individuals have equity in their property, it's highly likely that they will use some of that equity to make their asset, the dwelling they live in, better. They will upgrade their own property. They will take equity uh, that is borrowed against the value of their asset and reinvest it into their asset. So what I love about the idea of looking at the consistent operating history of a place is the fact that if there has been equity produced in the past, it's highly likely to be reinvested in that place, in that suburb, which pushes up that suburb's overall performance and ultimately creates more capital growth. So if you were buying a business, you would look at the operating history. Uh, If you were running a business, your profit you would retain and put back into your business for more growth. We call that in business retained earnings. So again, like if you were buying a business, you would go, well, what's the operating history of this business? How's it performed over 30 years? Okay, it's had some good years, some bad years, but overall it's been consistent. Okay, I'm going to put a value on that and buy it. Obviously, if you took the same logic to real estate investment and you went, well, what's the operating history of this particular house uh, in this particular suburb and you don't see a very good operating history, that's a bit of a red flag. Now, conversely, if a suburb's had a very good operating history and it's not overpriced, like I'm not suggesting rush off and, you know, pay overs, what we're just looking for is the dynamic of a good operating history. There's some consistent years of performance and there's equity in those particular places. The ability for those places to reinvest in themselves is much higher. Now, again, if a lot of people start to take mortgages out and reinvest in their own assets, those assets fundamentally look better, and eventually the market responds to that. The market realizes that is a suburb where a lot of the assets are actually upgraded And of course, someone one day comes along and pays more for that. You, as a property investor, being positioned in that market, will eventually see those people's upgrades become your equity improvement on your asset. And again, we call that retained earnings. In business, it's very, very common. You know, you run a business, you make a profit. Do you take the profit and put it in your back pocket? Or do you retain the profit, reinvest it in the business? Same concept, but just done at a suburb level. Are the people in the suburb retaining the profit of their equity and reinvesting it in the look and feel of their assets? That's why consistent operating history is actually very important because it... uh, will create equity and equity will be reinvested in the suburb. Again, like probably goes back to the counter argument is don't be a market maker. Like why are you trying to uh, invent something? Like are you an inventor? Like you're not an inventor. Like if you were an inventor, you would have invented something. You're basically a property investor. So stick to operating history and understand that equity in a suburb is actually a good thing. No one wants to pay for someone else's capital growth at an exorbitant level, but if we do it at a responsible level, it is perfectly fine. So I think the next rule is we just want simple and understandable assets. Simple and understandable. You know, we just want a good property in a good street, in a good location that has some, you know, simple metrics around it, right? We don't want to overcomplicate this stuff. We want to understand it because it does come back to a little bit about, you know, 
understanding your moat, right? Like your circle of confidence. If you don't understand it, don't do it. That's the rule. Until you understand it, then do it. And of course, a lot of people don't understand, again, um, you know, perhaps an area or a location or, you know, what a strategy is. Until you understand it, don't do it. And of course, this is why I think it's really important to create, to get yourself a mentor, someone who understands it and can teach you how to understand it. So many property investors or just people who own real estate don't actually understand the um, cash flow profile of the asset. Um, they don't understand, you know, where the asset sits in the marketplace. They don't understand if they bought in the bottom 25% of their marketplace, the middle 50%, or they're in the top quartile of assets in their suburb. Understand... Uh, Creating understanding is is also creating simplicity. This We all want a simple life. We're spinning a lot of plates. You know, I've spun too many plates this year. I'm hiding in Norfolk Island. Um, that's, you know, no one wants that. I don't want it. Um, you know, I want to be, you know, skiing in Switzerland. But, uh, you know, we need to just keep things simple. The simpler we are, the happier we are. Simple things are good. The pub is good. Today we're doing the pub chat. Pub chats are simple. Um, so hopefully I'm understandable today. You're understanding me. And again, like if we can just keep things simple and understandable, we're going to have a better relationship with property because property investment is a grind. All right, the next Pub rule, if you like, is to understand, again, if you are a cash flow investor, a growth investor, or a value investor. It's pretty simple. A growth investor probably buys something with a huge burn rate on it. They might choose something that has an incredible amount of capital growth associated to it, but it has a very low yield, 1% or 2%. Nothing wrong with that. You've just got to have the financial wage to fund that asset. You've got to understand where you're playing because the associated uh, total return will be connected to it. And so if you're a cash flow investor, you're probably going to get no growth, or very low amounts of growth, but you'll get a yield of 7 8 9%. That's okay as long as you understand what you're doing. A value investor kind of splits it down the middle. They buy real estate which can grow but also can be funded by its cash flow. There is no right or wrong to either. If you want to create more wealth, you should probably become a growth investor. Growth investors really are rich people today because rich people like to be rich and can afford growth, high growth assets. And when I say high growth assets, you know, you're spending $2 million, you're collecting $1,000 in rent, you're making up the short for, you're buying something pretty impressive, pretty scarce out in the marketplace, high growth investors. Generally, after 10 or 20 years, high growth investors will be wealthier. But for a lot of property investors, they can't afford to be high growth investors because they only have so much money in their back pocket. Cash flow investors, and I've been a cash flow investor in the past, I am no longer a cash flow investor, buy income but no growth. And again, quite often to seize the income in the marketplace you need to buy inferior assets which have never grown, hence why they provide more cash flow because they are cheap to buy. Again, no right or wrong, just telling you where what you need to do. Like, who are you? Know who you are. This is the rule. I'm a value investor. I like to use some of the yield to control the asset so that my wage doesn't come into the functionality of running the portfolio. Yes, time to time with rates on the move, 
I will throw in a few bob, but not over a 30-year period. Rate, uh, rate juggling is more, you know, a short-term money cycle formula of two or three years you're chucking. You're not, you're not pinned down to the rates for 30 years. Like, rates move all the time. So if you're a value investor, you're a value investor. Value investors use a combination of growth and cash flow, total return, to end up where they need to go. Now, again, like um, it's up to you. If you want to be a high growth investor and you want to sacrifice lifestyle, do it. Like do it. Like if you like ultimately want to can afford, you know, incredible assets in the market in the million dollar range, above the million dollar range, closer to the $2 million range. And, you know, you're independently got a pretty good wage in your back pocket. That's probably a pretty good plan. Um, if you're, uh, you know, if you like your lifestyle and you like doing things, you know, every week, uh, having some fun, going out to dinner, then you've just got to you know, consider that if you're going to buy these high growth assets that could compromise your lifestyle. So I've always found, you know, certainly the people I connect with are more value-based investors. They want a good level of capital growth, you know, 7%, that kind of number, but they need a bit of a yield because they also want a lifestyle. So they need three, four, 5% yield, that kind of thing. So that's the model, right? Know who you are. This is the rule. Like, know who you are so you don't, again, judge yourself against others. Know what you're investing in. Oh, I'm a value investor. I can appreciate that the high growth asset on Sydney Harbour has tripled in value and my one has just doubled in value. That, that you need to acknowledge that or real estate will do your head in. Because not all real estate is created equal. Now, I personally like to, again, coach people around value investing and then choosing the best A-grade asset within the value investment range. And there is nothing wrong with that. It's just we all need to acknowledge what that is. It is choosing a capital growth property where the yield basically does the lion's share of the work to get you where you need to go. So that's the rule. Know who you are. Like, you know, come out of the closet as to what you actually are. Identify as the right investor. You're either, there's three. You're a high growth investor, you're a cash flow investor, or you identify as a value investor. I identify as a value investor and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It is what it is. So uh, the next rule is when you own real estate, you want to make sure it's liquidable, sellable, that you can offload it if you need to, that there is a good level of people that one day would like that real estate. Now, why is this important? Well, of course, things will always change when it comes to real estate investment. Um, you know, sometimes you can upgrade your real estate. You can, you know, basically sell off one, pay down debt on something else. Like at some point you need to transition to retirement. Now, obviously the, the best model is once you own an asset and if it's good enough to keep, and your uh, level of certainty around the asset is concrete and your circle of confidence and your moat is concrete, you'll never want to sell the property. Trust me, you'll, you'll feel so good about it. You'll, you know, you, you in some respects, you, you, you know, you, you, you know, you just feel so secure with the asset. But at some point, you're going to want to retire. And for a lot of people, if they haven't paid down debt along their journey, they're going to have to sell an asset to pay off another asset and pay some gains along the way. So you want to have real estate that is desirable for and 
day of auction or the day the market, the property is used as a, a sale piece of real estate, it's going to fetch a good price. Simple as that. Um, if you're building a portfolio, you may actually, you know, build a portfolio where one of your assets is going to be so, so popular on the day of sale to pay off the other assets. And of course, portfolio building sometimes is the idea that, you know, we start with the best possible assets. And by the time we buy a fourth or fifth property, it's obviously not as good as the first asset we buy because, you know, our buying power is dropping along the way. So we want to make sure that, you know, we've got a trump card in the pack, something that can resell and pay off debt and that is going to be really, really popular for the marketplace. And of course, as we know, you know, today, for example, what's popular is, you know, properties fully renovated, properties new, the, the better properties always hold value in the marketplace over the less impressive properties. In downturns, A-grade properties suffer less of a downturn. In upturns, they make more capital growth than a property. So, so again, like if you're a value investor and you buy yourself the best possible A-grade asset in that space, then obviously it's going to resell as well. So, um, you know, we... We, this is what we want, you know, let's, 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 let's go through the rules as we, where we're up to in the pub. Don't be a market maker. Don't be a picture trough investor. Invest for something that's going to help you in retirement. A good property is something that will be good for 30 years. Something easy to manage. You know, making sure you've got the moat, your circle of confidence. You're going to buy problems, acknowledge it and deal with it. Just don't buy bigger problems that you don't want to deal with. Understand the operating history of the area you're buying in. Understand that if it's had growth in the past, that's not such a bad thing. Don't overpay for growth, but also understand that equity will create a movement on real estate into the future as people improve their assets. Understand your real estate. Understand your strategy. Understand where you're going. Understand the rule. Keep it simple and understandable. Uh, know who you are. Who, what is your identity as a property investor? Are you a value investor, a growth investor, or a cash flow investor? What do you balance all three in some respects to build your portfolio? Obviously, understand that if you're going to buy real estate, you know, potentially you may need to resell that real estate to go into a cycle of, you know, debt free. And so if, you know, if no one wants to buy it, you got a bit of a problem in your retirement, right? So if you're holding on to something that's a bit of a liability, and I've seen a lot of liabilities out there in the real estate market. They get punished on the day they get sold because someone just comes along and goes, "Man, I'm, you know, this thing's just falling apart, and uh, there's no way you can get that price." And here's a couple hundred grand lower than obviously what your expectation is, and that can be 20, 30, 40 percent of your retirement. Add on to that, then you know, your capital gains and so forth, it can be a really, really huge amount of money when it comes to your real estate investment. The next rule is what's built into the deal, right? So we want to understand that real estate has intrinsic value to it. Intrinsic value is what basically is built into the deal. Uh, you know, intrinsically, you could have 40 years worth of tax deductions built into a deal. It comes with the deal. If you were to buy new, you get 40 years of tax deductions. What that means is cash flow every week. It's intrinsic to the deal. If you buy real estate built in 1986, 83, 75, it has no tax advantages built into the deal. There's no intrinsic value of those tax advantages. What else can be built into the deal? 
you know, you could buy a property today which has really good bones. It's a great asset. It's modern. It's renovated. Someone's overcapitalized on the renovation. And to replace that asset, to replace the building, uh, you know, you couldn't replace it for the price of what that real estate is. It's got intrinsic value. You know, quite often you look at quite historical properties, lots of intrinsic value. Go and try and build a Victorian terrace house today. Impossible. Intrinsic value in just the building alone. I like buying intrinsic value. I buy modern intrinsic value pieces of real estate. I like architectural real estate. Uh, why? Because uh, architects, you know, and brands create intrinsic value. So just understand that when you're analyzing real estate, you're looking for intrinsic value. What is built into the deal from a real estate investor's perspective? Um, you know, what's unique about the deal? Where's it's, it's, what, what does it come with? And so it's completely up to you as to how you approach that. Again, I identify as a value investor. So intrinsic value to me, also, I need to look for extra cash flow because I'm always looking for that gain when it comes to running a portfolio doing things like PAYG variations and using uh, government cash to, to create more rent in my wealth. It's just the way I approach it. There's no right or wrong. It's just the way I approach it. Other ways to create intrinsic value, again, is there are some really good properties out there that you just couldn't replace them for what they're worth today. And again, it's, it's a really, really interesting way to analyze real estate. It's what is built into the deal. It's really a good way to consider it. And I think the final way to play the game and the final pub rule in the pub chat today is the uh, fair sucker the sav rule. Yes, I'm going to say it one more time just to irritate my wife and of course, she thought it was vulgar, but it's not vulgar in Australia. It just basically means, you know, fair go, give me a chance to talk, fair suck at the sab, mate. So the final rule of the pub chat is the fair suck at the sab rule, fair market value. Yes, sensible pricing. Don't overpay for real estate. It's as simple as that. Um, obviously, we're in a new cycle where there's new cycles. You've just got to be very vigilant that you're not overpaying for real estate. It's pretty simple. Um, you know, don't fall into the trap that the bargain, the property 30% off is the right property. It could be 30% off for a reason. It could be the wrong property. That's why it's 30% off. Uh, then you own the asset and it never actually regains that 30%. It just is a piece of real estate that time and time again, people have overpaid for. So just understand like the idea of reasonable market value or fair market value, be willing to pay a fair price for a fair asset. Simple as that. I know it sounds, you know, too simple to be true, but it is just the way it works. Like at the end of the day, a good property out in the marketplace is not going to go cheaply. It's just the way it works. Yes, you might get, you know, any given week, you know, 5, 5%, 10% on, off, you know, just from a deal-making point of view. But at the end of the day, what you want to, how you want to approach the fair suck of the SAV rule is just consider fair market value um, at the point of where the market is, at the point of where you're buying. It's as simple as that. And yes, we, we will all love to pay 50% off a piece of real estate at the time of purchasing, but it doesn't really work like that. And just deal with the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes it's actually better to pay more for the right property than less for the wrong property. And if you understand sensible pricing for the start of, uh, of your journey, then you will have a nice rest of your journey. Obviously, you don't want to overpay for the wrong property. Like, 
Real estate is about fundamentals and I say this all the time, you know, you've got three main things to consider. Your fundamental one is your location. Your fundamental two is your characteristics of where the property is, its land. And the third is the characteristics of the building. Like, will it take you into retirement 30 years from now? So if you understand those three and you just associate, you know, paying a fair price for the asset, you're off to the races. If you're going to buy an A-grade value piece of real estate, an A-grade piece of land, an A-grade uh, building and an A-grade, you know, location, you know, and get it half price, like, mate, that would be amazing, but it rarely happens. So don't stress out about it. Just pay a fair market price. Um, don't overpay for the wrong asset. And uh, it's just as simple as that, right? Whether it's a house, a villa, a unit, apartment, um, duplex, block of flats, just fair market is fair market. All right. So they're the rules. That's the pub chat. Uh, I tell you what, I hope you guys have an awesome, awesome Christmas. Um, I am getting jovial with the family. Um, I love having a bit of a laugh with all of them. They're a bunch of characters. And then, yes, I am disappearing to Norfolk Island, the land of the bounty mutineers, the land where they don't actually want to be part of Australia. Yes, where there is really no viable telephone or internet connection. Yes, will I survive uh, Norfolk Island or will I actually want to leave? I don't know. We don't know until we do these things, do we? We don't know if the episode is going to be good until we finish the episode. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Maybe I'll get cancelled because I said fair sucker the salve. And of course, today that could be a real thing. I don't know. But uh, yes, enjoy your Christmas break. I will be back one more time before uh, before I toot off. But I, when I do my next episode, I won't be here. I'll be in Norfolk Island. So uh, hey, Merry Christmas. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.